service. Okay, Psalm 103. Let's stand together if we can for the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 103, and we'll be looking at verse 1 and 2, and then skipping down in our uh, initial reading to verses 13 through 18. Let's read together verses 1 and 2 out loud. Can we do that? Here we go. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Let's look down at verse 13. We're going to read these responsively. I'll begin in 13. We'll begin together in 14 to read in that pattern down through 18. The Bible says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Together. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The title of the sermon this morning comes out of verse 2, as we look at this Father's Day, Forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Part of uh, uh, the great part about having God be your heavenly Father is there are loads of benefits that come along with that. We're going to highlight some of those this morning. Let's pray. Lord, on this Father's Day, we come and we gather and we celebrate our heavenly Father who sent uh, his only begotten Son, you, Lord. You sent Jesus down here on, on our behalf. And uh, you were willing to sacrifice your only begotten Son on the cross in our place to die for our sins so that we could have the gift of everlasting life and have the gift of a mercy that is from everlasting to everlasting. Thank you for the cross of Calvary. Thank you for salvation that is offered by faith in that cross. Thank you, Lord, that you want a relationship with us, not just some ceremonial religion. And so, Lord, today... May we not just attend church and go through the motions, but may you have our hearts throughout this entire service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there are some classic dad lines that I just wanted to share with you by way of intro this morning. And so if you have a dad in your home or remember back to the day when you had a dad in your home, some of these will sound familiar. All right, a dad walks outside and sees his boy helping with the lawn or his daughter in the kitchen helping with the dishes, he makes something like this, say something like this, Are you working hard or hardly working? Are you working hard or hardly working? How about this one? Uh, to a neighbor washing their car, he'll say this, Can you do my next? Can you do my next? Um, how about seeing a friend in a store? All right? Or seeing, yeah, seeing a friend in a store, uh, that they'll say something like this, I guess they'll let anyone in here, won't they? Uh-huh, that's a dad line. Uh, how about when you got a, a family trip and you're driving down the road through the country and you see some cows? Dad will yell out, moo. All right. Um, how about when you come on a kid who's, uh, who's crying and, you know, they've fallen and scraped their knee and the dad will look down at the son and he'll say, I guess we'll have to amputate. I guess we'll have to amputate. How many dads have said these kind of things? Okay, you've had dads say these kind of things. All right, um, let's see. How about a dad who takes a stud finder and points it at his chest and he'll say, found it, all right, all right. How about when someone comes back inside, they leave to go somewhere, they're going to be gone a good long, good couple hours, 
They leave to go somewhere. They forgot something. They're rushing back inside to get it. Dad's sitting on the couch. He'll say something like this. Back already? How was it? All right. Um, A server at the restaurant asks, do you want ranch, blue cheese, Italian, or Thousand Island for your salad? Dad's respond, yes, please. All right. Okay. Um, Dad comes back from getting his hair cut. Someone says, um, uh, did you get your hair cut? He says, no, I got all of them cut. All right. Um, When someone says, see you later, Dad says, uh, thank you for the warning. Thank you for the warning. Um, when you drive past uh, a, a base of hail in the field, Dad just out of nowhere shouts out, Hey! All right. And then uh, when someone points out their new haircut, Dad will say, Nope, I didn't get my haircut. I just got my ears lowered. All right. And then one more here. Uh, when, a kid makes, uh, uh, when a kid mistakes his left for his right, what does dad say? He says, no, your other right. Your other right. How many of you here uh, have had that, uh, you said that? No, your other right. So uh, dads are good at the punchlines. Dads are good at the corny jokes. How many here have ever had a dad who's really good at just telling very lame jokes? All right. Uh, there's uh, Dad jokes are a thing, that's to be sure. Uh, listen, uh, truth be told, dads get stepped on pretty hard in our culture. They get criticized uh, from all sides. Uh, on a pretty regular basis, I, uh, here at White Oak, I challenge the men of our church to step up and, uh, and take their role serious. But men, I, I don't want to come across as heavy-handed today. Uh, there are, uh, men are important in the home. Men are, very, men are critical in the home. Um, your boys need to know. Uh, your boys need to know what Christian manhood looks like. They need to see it in you. They need you to model that for them. They need to know that you operate by principles and not by your emotion. Okay. Uh, your little girls need you to love them and care for them. Um, they they need to know that they can get male attention from daddy and they don't have to run to some pimple faced teenage boy to get it. Um, to the men, I'd say foster that relationship. Uh, love them. Encourage them. But most, of, but most important, be there. Be there. Be present. Be active. You say, I don't have this dad thing figured out. Be there. Be present. Be active. Don't walk away from your home no matter how tough things get. Uh, teach them by your example what it means to love God with all of your heart. And so that's my challenge to dads on this Dad's Day. Let's look at uh, the 103rd Psalm this morning. We're going to take a look at our perfect Heavenly Father. Um, This is what we call an envelope psalm. An envelope psalm. Psalm 1 begins and ends the same way. Look back at verse 1 with me. And, and, and let's read verse 1 together. Ready? Here we go. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Notice those first six words. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Those same six words end the chapter. Look down at verse 22. Let's read that together. Ready? Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
This is an envelope psalm. It begins and ends. And in the Hebrew language, which it was written in, it is poetic. It is written with great rhyme and reason. It is written in a way that is just beautiful to behold within the Hebrew language. David here is praising his heavenly Father for being a wonderful, wonderful God and a wonderful, wonderful parent to him, a heavenly parent to him. And when you get through with verse 22, you can hop right back into verse 1 and read it all over again. Now, David had a heart for God. He had a heart for God. He viewed God as his heavenly Father and so eloquently expressed this love for his Father here in this chapter. David had lived under the love of God and experienced all the benefits that came from living under his care. And the reality is that here we are some 4,000 years later from the writing of this psalm, and God provides so many wonderful benefits to us just as he did to David. Now, um, I want you to imagine that somewhere in an inner city you have a family who lives homeless. And and this is an imaginary family, but mom and dad uh, both die in a short period of time and they leave behind a 14-year-old child who is left an orphan living homeless in the street. This this hypothetical 14-year-old child, he sleeps in cardboard boxes or maybe she eats out of uh, dumpsters in order just to to survive and get along. And uh, this young man or young woman is uh, quite uh, smart and quite uh, able to to, to keep uh, himself or herself alive. And lo and behold, uh, he makes friends or she makes friends with another young lady at school who is uh, from a very wealthy family. And so in the evenings, uh, this young man or young lady is going over and enjoying the meals that are provided and hanging out in the bedroom and hanging out in the home. But when they uh, he or she leaves at night, it's to the supposed idea that he or she's going to uh, his or her own home only to go sleep in a cardboard box. And lo and behold, this rich father and mother begin to pick up on the cues and begin to figure things out and an adoption offer is made and this young man or young lady now has a choice. I can continue to live homeless on the streets and figure things out for the next four or five years until I'm out of high school or I can be adopted by this family. And uh, if I'm adopted by this family, here are all the benefits. I get to have my own bedroom in a mansion and I get to eat out of the refrigerator whenever I want and I get to uh, uh, take horseback riding lessons and swimming lessons and I get a, a mom and a dad who will look after me and love me and, and the list of benefits goes on and on and on. I'll have a family on Christmas morning to gather around the Christmas tree and open presents. I'll have a church. Uh, I can go uh, to church with, my, with a family and feel like I fit and feel like I belong and all of the benefits that come along uh, with being adopted by this family, but if I'm adopted by this family, not only do I get these benefits, but I also now have a new set of rules I have to learn to follow. You see, when you're 14 living on the streets, you don't have a curfew. When you're 14 living on the streets, no one's going to tell you what you can or can't eat. 
When you're 14 and living on the streets, you can have whoever you want as friends. When you're 14 and don't have any parents and you're out on your own, while you may not have the benefits of living uh, with the family, you also have freedom to go live and your life however you want, whether that's good or bad. And now that the adoption has been chosen, this young man or young lady must follow a new set of rules under a new set of parents uh, and there are going to be some expectations put on them. And so it is for me and you. The day that you put your faith and trust in Christ to save you, you were adopted as an, uh, an orphan to sin into the spiritual family of God. And all of the benefits that come along with being a child of God, we want to enjoy and thrive under. Uh, but the reality is that there are some new house rules that God expects you to follow found in the Bible. Here's what a lot of people do. They pray to get saved, and here's what happens. They want the benefits of being a Christian without the responsibility of being a Christian. You can't have it both ways. If you're going to take up God on the adoption, Romans 8 says uh, that it is a spirit of adoption when we get saved. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, we're told that it is an adoption that takes place. God adopts you into His family. He washes away your sin. He makes you part of His family. And as part of that, there are many, many benefits that come from living within harmony in the family of God. We're going to jump into Psalm 103 this morning, and we're going to notice several benefits that God lays out for us from being part of of the family of God and having God as our Heavenly Father. If if God is not your Heavenly Father, you've not yet been adopted, listen closely this morning. I'm going to explain exactly how you can make that happen today. All right. If you're visiting today, uh, our custom is that we put the outline to the sermon on the back of the bulletin, and we leave one blank there for you to fill in that blank as we go, and we put our outline also on the screen to help you And so get your pen out, get your uh, bulletin out there, and let's take uh, some notes as we go along this morning. That way you have that after you leave this morning. Notice, number one, our remembrance of the Father's mercy. Our remembrance of the Father's mercy. Look at Psalm 103, and look at verse number 2, and let's read down through verse 5. The Bible says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Look at the benefits that are listed here from, uh, from, from verse 3 down through verse 5. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Uh, as we're remembering the Father's mercy this morning, notice in verse 2, He takes us from the prison. He takes us from the prison. Look back at verse 3. Look back at verse 3. The first part says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Notice that it doesn't say, Forgiveth all thine mistakes. All thine iniquities. The reality is that our sins before God are iniquitous. They're ugly. They're offensive to a holy God. The reality is that our iniquities have put us in a spiritual prison. They have put us at odds with the God of the universe. Let me share some verses here with you. Romans 6.23 says, The wages or payment of sin is death. 
That word death in the Bible means separation. It is to be separated from God. When someone is locked away in a prison for committing a crime, they are separated from uh, the social fabric of humanity. There is a death that takes place anytime anyone is locked up. We see here Romans 6 says the wages, the price tag of sin is death. Ezekiel 18, or rather, yes, yes, Ezekiel 18 verse 20 says this, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It shall die. How about James 1.15? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And uh, if there's any question about God's feeling toward the sin within us, Proverbs 15.26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. An abomination to the Lord. God loves every man, woman, boy, and girl. It is not His desire that any should perish. James tells us, but God hates the iniquity found within each of us. Please understand this. There's this, uh, there's this thought process uh, pervading our culture today that if I don't accept everything you do, then that means that I hate you. And that is just not true. That is just not true. Do you know God loves you, but He hates your sin? Do you know that if God loved your sin, then God would in essence hate you? God hates sin, but loves the sinner. You say, is that possible? Absolutely it's possible, because God has done it. One day, God is going to come through on His promise to imprison the iniquitous in hell for all of eternity. Those who die in their iniquity, those who do not accept God's uh, way out of that, that iniquity, those who do not accept God's extension for salvation, when they die in that, in that iniquity, they die in that sin, God is going to send those folks to hell. Uh, take your Bibles over to Revelation 20, especially if you're not familiar with the passage. Revelation chapter 20, and look at verse 14. Uh, listen, it has become highly unpopular for preachers in today's climate to preach on hell, to talk about hell. In fact, uh, folks don't like it. It pushes, makes people squirm. It causes people to not want to come back to church. But my friend, if I'm not telling you all the truth, then I'm not doing you uh, justice. If I'm not uh, telling you the truth, then I'm not preaching the whole counsel of God. And the truth is, God spoke more about hell than He did about heaven. He gave far more detail about hell than He did about heaven. Look at Revelation 20 and look at verse 14. The Bible says, and death and hell. By the way, sin brings death. And so you die in sin. Uh, God's going to take all of those who are in this death because of their sin. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the separation, not of your body, but of your soul. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The psalmist said in verse 3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, his benefits. God wants to forgive your iniquities. There's a story about a young man who had committed a great crime and had put him on death row. I believe this took place in the state of Virginia many, many years ago. This young man was on death row and his uh, time was coming for him to be executed. And much petitioning went in by the family of this young man to get him off death row. And so the governor chose to go and consider pardoning this man. And so the governor, in his uh, suit and tie, uh, he 
headed into the prison and he walked into uh, where the death row was. He was newly elected and had been elected while this man was in prison. This man did not know who he was. And the governor walked in and sat down immediately. That young man who was there awaiting his time of death, he had a bitterness and hatred toward God. And his assumption was that the governor was a preacher, and they sat there, and the young man would not look at the governor, not knowing he was the governor, not knowing the governor had the ability to uh, pardon his crime and set him free. And the governor sat there and looked at him and did not say anything at first. And the young man said, I'm not interested in what you have to say. I want you to leave. And the governor said, but I don't think you understand who I am. And the young man said, I know who you are. I need you to leave. I do not want to hear what you have to say. That governor tried two or three times to initiate conversation, but each time the young man on death row became more and more um, uh, uh, vociferous in his voice, more and more angry in his tone. And so the governor looked at him and said, have a great day, and turned around and walked out. Sometime later, the warden came walking in and said, how did your appointment with the governor go? And the young man said, that was the governor. That was the governor, oh, how I missed my only chance at being pardoned. That young man would be put to death. My friend, God, regardless of your view of Him, God loves you. He hates your sin that has put you on an eternal death row, but He loves you. And oh, how so many people refuse to make eye contact, if you will, with God. Oh, how so many people refuse to look at the Heavenly Father and say, uh, I, as, uh, as your creation, I understand that you sent Jesus to the cross in my place. David had experienced this forgiveness of God, of his iniquities. And David said, I am a child of the King. I've been adopted. I've not only been pardoned for my sin, I've been adopted into the family of God. David said, let's not forget his benefits. Verse 3, he says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. He takes us from the prison. Notice verse 3. He takes us from the uh, prison to the physician. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. It says there, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. All thy diseases. Notice the word thy. We're going to look at some grammar here, all right? Grammar, if you listen to me preach, you would think grammar is not my strong suit. I have southern influence, and sometimes that comes poking through, and I get picked on a lot for that. People come and say, ah, you use this word and that word, and you don't speak good English. Uh, Proper is proper. You don't speak proper English. I don't always speak proper English. But when you're raised in the southeast, sometimes that's how it goes. But I'm not as dumb as you think I am, amen? I'm not as think as you dumb I am. So, um, but let's look at some grammar here quickly. Look at verse 3 again. It says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. All right. Part of speech. Thy is a pronoun. It is a pronoun pointing back. I've already lost some of you. Your eyes have glazed over. And you're from the northeast. So you're supposed to be smarter than me, right? Um, look there. Uh, thy is a pronoun pointing back to the last noun used. That would be the word soul. Soul. Soul is the noun being tacked here. Um, look back at verse 3. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy, all thy soul's diseases. Look back at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
The reality is that when you live a life in the bondage of iniquity, you bring upon yourself some heart-level sickness. Everybody look up here at me. Tonight at 5 p.m., we're going to be talking very much about this topic. The title of my sermon this evening is that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David was at a place where his men were ready to kill him. And David found a way in his great distress, his great emotional trauma to turn it all around. And if you're going through a time of great distress, some great emotional disorder, let me really encourage you to come back tonight and hear that message. Here David is saying, same idea, same concept, verse 3, he's saying not only is it a benefit to have my iniquities forgiven, not only is it a benefit to be taken out of the prison, God did not just take me out of the prison and leave me on the street. No, that, uh, uh, God took me out of the prison and He took my hurting heart, He took my soul, and He helped to heal me. Uh, you are sure to experience great relationship hurt if you have lived a life of uh, lived a life of deep sin. God takes us from the prison to the doctor's office, and He offers healing for uh, our hurting hearts. Uh, it is the Father's mercy that allows our spiritual bleeding hearts to be healed. Many people have full access to all the benefits that come along with being a child of God, but they never take advantage of all that is offered. Never take advantage of all that is offered. It's like buying a brand new sports car or luxury car and losing the keys and never driving it. It just sits there in the driveway, brand new, never driven. You are a child of God. You have all of the benefits that come along with them available to you. Many people are busy running to their own methodology, running to their own concepts, running to the, uh, the world's philosophies, running to worldly wisdom, and neglecting the benefits of God. You may have great hurt in your heart, but God, who is our great physician, offers incredible healing in Christ. We have rest for our weary souls. In Christ, we have comfort for our grieving hearts. In Christ, we have hope in a broken world. In Christ, we have joy in the face of great sorrow. And in Christ, we have faith in a world filled with fear. When you walk through life leaning on the mercies of God, leaning on the heart of your Heavenly Father, He takes that mercy and He uses it to heal your past hurts. He takes us from the uh, prison to the physician. He takes us from the physician. Notice verse 4, He takes us to the pawn shop. To the pawn shop. Look at verse 4. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. The psalmist here takes us into the pawn shop. Here comes a, a wretched uh, um, destitute. Over the years, he has had one prized possession. A ring, perhaps, or a necklace. Uh, through all of his life's hardships, he has managed to keep it because of the memories it holds. Uh, 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 he, 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 he mem- uh, memories of better days. But now he has come to an end of all other resources and needs money. There's only one thing to do if he does not want to sell it. He must pawn it. But then perhaps uh, he can get back, get it back one day along with his self-respect when better times come. So the destitute man goes into the pawn shop and offers the ring to the broker who appraises it uh, uh, in his mind as a very valuable item indeed. Assuring, assuring himself he can buy it back, the homeless man makes a deal. He gets a pittance for the ring and a ticket to certify the transaction. 
up to the date on the ticket. He can buy the ring back for the amount of the loan plus interest. The date for the redemption of the ring draws near, but the pauper has been foolishly optimistic. The date arrives. He goes into the pawn shop, pleading for more time. He pleads for better terms, bearing his soul and weeping to the pawn shop owner. He tells the pawnbroker of the happy days when he first received the ring. He pours out all his good intentions, but the pawnbroker has heard such stories before, way too many of them. He eyes the plaintiff in contempt, his ruin of rags, his drink-sodden face, his unwashed body, his unkempt hair, his broken old shoes, and he refuses to modify the original terms. The next day, the derelict passes the pawn shop and he sees his ring in the window gleaming under bright lights on a background of black velvet. It has a different price tag now, one which represents its real worth, a hundred times the pittance for which it was pawned. He has thrown away his ring the same way he has thrown away his life. It is lost beyond recall. It can be redeemed but at what cost, and certainly not redeemed by Him. This is the way it is with us. Sin has made paupers of us all. Our lives have been scarred and ruined, pawned for a pittance, and, uh, but Jesus came into the pawn shop of life. And at Calvary, He paid the redemption price. How great a price it was. Ye, uh, ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul wrote, that though He was rich, for your sakes He became poor. That ye through His poverty might be made rich. At Calvary, He not only redeemed our, our, our souls from hell, He redeemed our lives from destruction. We can bless God for that now, can't we? He takes us from the prison to the physician. He takes us from the physician to the pawn shop. He takes us, in verse 4, from the pawn shop to the palace. To the palace. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. I love how God doesn't just say mercies uh, and, and kindness. He throws some superlatives in there. It says, Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Now imagine, uh, if you will... Uh, taking a cancer-ridden, depressed jailbird and finding a way to give him freedom. That would be merciful. Then you take this same man to your doctor friend. All throughout the process, you stay by his side and you pay the entire medical bill until he gets his health back. That would be even more merciful. Then you help him, uh, 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 you help him get reestablished in life. And you help him to get his dignity back. He now has his own place to live and is able to feed his own mouth because you have given him opportunities to redeem his life from destruction. That would be merciful. Oh, but you're not done yet. You then move him into a palace and set him, uh, see him to be adopted by a king and made an heir to the throne. There is a royal ceremony and crowns are placed on the man's head. You are the catalyst that makes this happen. You are the one who has been by his side to see his life restored. Oh, how merciful. Some of you may have come in the door this morning questioning, doubting the goodness of God. 
doubting the goodness of your heavenly Father. Look up here this morning. Hear what I'm about to say. I promise you that God loves you. I promise you that God loves you. If you have believed on Jesus for salvation, then He's not only seen you delivered from the iniquity of sin, He's taken you to the doctor and seen you get better. He's gone to the pawn shop and bought your dignity back. Uh, He's taken you and put you in a palace because now you are adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you are now made a joint heir with Jesus Christ in heaven. Don't you ever question the goodness of God on you. He takes us from the prison to the physician to the pawn shop to the palace. Here's my favorite one. He takes us lastly in verse 5 to the pantry. To the pantry. Look at verse 5. You say, that's a stretch. Oh, no, it's not. Look at, look at verse 2. Let's read down to verse 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget, all, uh, forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all, all thine iniquities. That's uh, deliverance from the prison. Who healeth all thy diseases. That's the physician. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. There's the pawn shop. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. There's the palace. Look at verse 5. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Our Heavenly Father pours out His blessings on us each and every day. Jeremiah said, It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. The very next verse, he said, They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I've been a Christian for 34 years. I have watched God provide for me time and time again. There have been times where I have wondered if or how God would come through in my dark hour. Looking up here this morning, He has always come through in my dark hour. Every time. As I have sought to live my life in line with God's Word, I've not been perfect at it. I've made plenty of mistakes along the way. I have wandered off the path that God's had for me from time to time. If not, uh, if not, uh, if if I haven't stopped doing the right things always, there have been times where I've been my body's been doing the right thing, but my soul and my spirit have been wandered away. I've just simply gone through the motions, and my heart has been carnal and away from God. But even though I have not always been faithful to God, He has always been faithful to me. God dumps down His blessings on me every single day. Whether you live in an upscale home or you live in government housing, God is good to you. Whether you eat steak for dinner or tube steaks for dinner, God is good to you. Whether you drive a Lexus or you drive a Beater, God, or don't drive anything at all, God is good to you. God is good because He sent Jesus to the cross to die in our place. God is good because whether you are rich or poor, whether you're from the U.S. of A. or not, uh, no matter your color or your culture or your background or your wealth class, no matter what it is, one day on equal footing, everyone who's put their faith and trust in Christ will stand in the presence of God, move into a mansion in heaven, and live in perfect harmony with Christ for all of eternity. Forget not His benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless. His holy name. Our remembrance of the Father's mercies. Number two, notice the reach of the Father's mercy. The reach of the Father's mercy. Look down at verse 11 and verse 12. The Bible says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, 
so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. We see first letter A out of verse 11. We see its vertical reach. It's vertical reach. Look back at verse 11. The Bible says there, it says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. Imagine, if you will, that we were to go out into the church parking lot this morning and we were to plot a line upward, a line that extended off the parking lot, up into the sky, up through the clouds, up to the edge of our earth's atmosphere, out into outer space, out past all of the planets. You get all the way out to Pluto. Is Pluto still a planet? I'm not sure if Pluto is still a planet. It is and it isn't and it is. And I don't know where we're at right now. But out past Pluto, out past all the way, as far as you can draw the line, out of our galaxy, out into the next galaxy, light years and light years and light years and light years away. The Bible says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. God's mercy is so great, it runs so high vertically that it is immeasurable. It breaks the faculties to try to even understand it. But not only its vertical reach, notice letter B, its horizontal reach. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. We take a point on this planet and we draw a line horizontally, but we must be careful. We must not draw the line from north to south even at one degree because this is a finite distance. Light travels from, uh, from pole to pole 14 times a second. The north-south measure is finite. Not so the east-west measurement. If we travel north from a given point, sooner or later we will reach the north pole, a definite point. Uh, then we travel south to the South Pole, another definite point. East and west are a different matter. We can start to travel east and there is no point so long as we continue in that direction at which we start to travel west. Or we can start to travel west and no matter how long we continue, there is no point at which we, travel, uh, we start to travel east. West is always west. East is always east. The Bible says in verse 12 that our Father through His mercy has removed our transgressions from our record as far as the east is from the west. Now, let's, let's do this here. Let's, point, uh, let's take these two thoughts together. We have a vertical line that runs straight up through the clouds, straight out of space, straight up uh, 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 as far as you can take it, light years, light years and light years away. You have uh, the, the horizontal uh, line of God's love that continues going east or west and never meets the other direction. These two measurements of God's mercy, they intersect in the form and shape of a cross. The shape of a cross. Here you have it traveling east, and here you have it traveling straight up, and those two come just like this, and God's mercy, God's reach, is me- God, the, the, God's mercy is measured in a reach that looks just like this. Looks just like this. Growing up in church, from the time I was just a little guy, Here's a southern phrase for you. Knee high to a grasshopper. Growing up in church, knee high to a grasshopper. I have heard how that God loved me 
and how that God sent His only begotten Son to become all of my sin on the cross. I've had it instilled in me from birth that God loves me so much that He paved a path to heaven to save me from hell. Are you listening this morning? When people begin to question the goodness of God, they've taken their eyes off the mercy displayed on the cross. When you go and kneel at the cross and you accept the gift of eternal life, and you accept the, 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 uh, uh, you accept the terms to be uh, adopted into the family of God, when you accept that, you are accepting forgiveness from an eternity in hell. You are accepting uh, entrance into an eternity in God's love in heaven. Uh, listen, no matter what happens to you, from that point forward, His mercies are amazing. Look at that cross where Jesus died, and it wasn't a nice, smooth wood cross. It was a a rugged cross, two pieces of wood that were hammered together, and the, the, the bloody body of Jesus that was nailed up there, it was a rugged, ugly piece of wood dropped down into a hole, and there Jesus hung, and when He hung there, He hung there because He loved me. How could we ever question the reach of God's mercy? You say, well, where was God when? Hold on. God showed self-restraint to let Jesus die on the cross in your place. God did not step in and stop the suffering of His only Son. If God sat still while His Son suffered, then what makes you think you deserve God to step in in your suffering and stop it? The reach of God's mercy. It's horizontal. East, as far as east is from the west, He's buried your iniquities in the deepest sea. He's removed them from a point that is incomprehensible to a point that is in, incomprehensible. His mercies are higher than the heavens, extending off our planet, straight up through the sky in an infinite distance. The reach of His mercy. The, our remembrance of the Father's mercy. Number three, and lastly, notice the requirements to obtain the Father's mercy. Now here's the hard reality. Most people walking planet Earth are not taking advantage of the mercy of God. They have religion, but they don't have Christ. They have themselves, but they don't have Christ. What does it take for you to fully obtain the benefits of our loving Father? Letter A, notice, faith in God. Faith in God. Look at verse number 13 with me. This verse here is the reason why I landed on this for Father's Day. Look at verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children. Let's go back to the illustration we used to open the sermon. You've got this 14-year-old young lady. And she has been living on the streets. Her parents have died. And she's orphaned and homeless. And this family has figured out that this young lady is homeless. And she's embarrassed to admit it, but she is. and, And they sit her down and they say to her, We want to adopt you to be in our family. We have a bedroom for you, and 
Uh, we'll, we'll buy you a, a whole new set of clothes to wear. and uh, We'll put you in uh, private education and give you the top education in, in the area. Uh, we'll even help you get into college and, and, and help you excel there. We'll help you get established in life. Uh, we have all of these things that we want to offer. At the end of the day, that man and woman are not required to do any of those things. It is strictly by their mercy that they would do that. In fact, uh, until that young lady agrees to the terms uh, of the adoption, uh, that mom and dad are not obligated to give her one penny or help her in any way, that young lady must determine that she believes the, the goodwill of this husband and wife. The question this morning is, do you have faith in the goodwill of God? Last year, I traveled to Peru, South America, where my wife is from. I was invited to preach for our missionary, Mark Rader, who's a missionary in Lima. It was their church's sixth anniversary, and they had a big celebration. They paid to fly me down there to preach for them. You say, what's so big about the sixth celebration? All of the Hispanics in here know that anniversaries are a big, big, big deal all of them are a big deal. Whether it's the 6th, the 20th, the 22nd, they're all a big deal. And so uh, they, fill, they do it up big every year, and uh, they just like to have parties. Amen? Uh, they have a great time with those. So um, they flew me down and uh, had me preach, and I did my best to preach in Spanish. It's not my first language, but we got through it. And, uh, Angela invited her half-brother and invited several of her high school friends who were not saved, and they attended the service. And after the service was over, it was a whole day of celebration. They had a, later on, they had an afternoon service. Someone else preached, and uh, they had food, and they had cake, and they had all these festivities. And so we're hanging around the property, and, and uh, Angela's friends are there. Angela's half-brother, Daniel, was there. I said to them, I said, hey, uh, uh, can, can, we, can we go up in this room? I'd like to share some, some truths from the Bible with you. And so it was, it was uh, Daniel, me and Angela. It was Daniel, Alicia. What was your other friend's name? Ursula, Ursula, uh, Ursula, we all went up into a Sunday school room and I took the Bible and I began to share with them the love of Jesus, how that he had died on the cross for them. And uh, Alicia is a lawyer. She's passed her law degree. She's passed the bar. She's a lawyer there in Peru. Alicia is extremely intelligent. She's way smarter than me. Ursula started, or rather, um, uh, Alicia started asking some very hard-hitting questions, and God stepped in, and he gave me the knowledge to be able to answer her questions in Spanish. I'm not one who believes much in speaking in tongues, but I believe God gave me a, a better grip on the Spanish language that day, so some form of tongues to be able to communicate to them and, and enunciate the gospel. Angela stepped in and helped a couple of times. and uh, uh, we're, we're, We were stuck. We were stuck on this understanding of salvation. and We just couldn't quite get through. And then Alicia made this statement. She said, but listen now, because this is a common belief amongst people. She said this, she said, we're all the children of God. We're all the children of God. And I looked at her and I said, no, we are not. Amen. Take your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I said, no, we are not. I said, we are not born inside the family of God. We are born outside the family of God. Yes, you are God's creation, but you are not born God's child. I took her to John chapter 1. I took her to verse number 12. Look at verse 12. Look here. It says this. It says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become 
the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. What is a requirement to obtain God's benefits? The title of the sermon is Forget Not All His Benefits. I just laid out for you how we remember all of these benefits that come from being in the family of God. How do you become a child of God? How do you take advantage of these benefits? You must believe on the name of Jesus. And in that moment, you are adopted into the family of God. You become a son or daughter of God. I shared that there with Ursula, Alicia, and Daniel. And the light bulb came on for all three of them. Their faces lit up and they smiled. And they said, I get it. I understand it. All three of them bowed their head in that Sunday school room there in Lima, Peru. And they put their faith in Christ and were adopted into the family of God that day. I would say to you this morning that you must do that same thing. You see, if if you're going to obtain the Father's mercy, you must believe in Jesus for salvation. Letter A, faith in God. Some of you here have done that. Many of you here have done that. I don't know that all of you here have done that. If you've not done that at the end of the service this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity right where you're sitting to pray and ask Christ to be your Savior, to give you the gift of eternal life and to adopt you into His family. And on this Father's Day... You can become a child of God. Letter A, faith in God. Letter B, notice fear of God. Fear of God. Go back with me to Psalm 103 and look at verse number 13. Look at verse number 13. Somebody here this morning who's been a Christian for many years really needs to hear what I'm about to say. I know we're at the end of the message. You filled in the last blank. Please do not check out. Please do not check out. This is going to be critical for somebody here this morning. Look at verse 13. Like as the Father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them. There's that requirement that fear him. Look at verse 14. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. To those who have believed and are God's children, God requires yet one more thing of you. He requires your fear. Notice that He does not require perfection. He requires your reverence. Your reverence. Sometimes as a dad, I hold my children to a higher level than is realistic. I forget that they are still in their developmental years. This is why God has given me a wife. My wife has to remind me that they are not in their late 30s. I must remember, but they are, they are but children. God looks down on me and you, and He sees the efforts that we make to love Him and live for Him. Speaking personally this morning, I know we have a child in the room. Listen up. Just give me your attention on purpose. Listen intently. He sees me slip and fall. He sees me sin every day. Every day I fall short. Every day I say or do something that doesn't please God. He sees me at times lose my temper or fall short on my Bible reading. He sees my mistruths. He sees my misdeeds. In those moments, is God angry at me? No. He 
knows that I love Him. He knows that I will confess and forsake those sins. He knows that I fear Him. He knows that I desire to have a rich, deep relationship with Him. And instead of Him hitting me over the head, He reaches down and with His mercy He loves me. And with His pity, He he embraces me. With His compassion, He forgives me. Now, I want to say this morning, many, many people take advantage of God's mercy. And they cause that mercy to dry up. And they bring God's hand of severe punishment down on them. Yes, they're saved, but they're rebellious. But if you love God, and you fear God, and you're working hard to keep His commandments and do what's right. God looks down at you, and He knows that you're frail. He knows that you're dust. And when you blow it, He's not looking to kick you to kingdom come. He's looking to embrace you and love you and help you back up. I believe some people walk around doing this all the time. Wondering if God's, when God's going to hit them. Looking over their shoulder as though God's some kind of hit man. No, my friend, God loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to help you grow. I love to give my children, I'll finish with this, I love to give my children tasks that are a little bit too difficult for them to do. And it isn't because I hate them, it's quite the opposite, it's because I love them. I'll give them something a little bit too hard to do, and I'll send them out to do it, and lo and behold, you know what happens? They struggle. They struggle to a point where they want to give up. And they come to me and say, Dad, I can't do it. You know what I say to them? I say, yes, you can. Get in there and keep working at it and you'll figure it out. And you know what? They fall and they mess up and they fall and they mess up. At some point I come along their side and I show them how to do it and then I let them go through it again. You know, sometimes God puts you through hardships. He puts you through trials. He puts you through struggles. He's giving you something in life that's too hard for you to do. And when the moment is right, God comes along and He helps you through it and you grow as a result of that experience. And you learn to fear Him that much more. On this Father's Day, we celebrate dads, but let's never forget the greatest father is our Father in heaven. Look back with me at Psalm 103 and look at verse 1. And let's read that verse together. Can we do that? Let's read it with some enthusiasm. Here we go. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, I am adopted. I have put my faith in Christ. I remember the day where I believed in Jesus and Jesus alone. And He he adopted me into His family. I am a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If that's your testimony this morning, you know for sure you're going to heaven someday because you've put your faith in Jesus. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? You know you've done that. You're certain you've done that. Would you just raise your hand? Don't be ashamed. Hold them up for a moment. Hold them up. Let me see them. You know you've put your faith in Jesus. You can put them down. Not every hand was raised. And those of you that did not raise your hand, let me just say I thank you for your, your honesty. I thank you for your honesty. 
at this moment, I just ask that uh, the congregation keep their head bowed and eye closed. And I have no intention of embarrassing anyone, but I would like to pray for you here today. If you do not know for sure you're going to heaven, a good, healthy first step is to be, be willing to admit that you are lost when it comes to your eternity. You are not certain of your eternity. You are not certain that you are on your way to heaven. If that's you and you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I do not know that I have believed in Jesus to become the Son of God or the daughter of God. Pastor Lejeune, would you please pray for me? I'm not going to call out your name. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I do not know. I do not know. I see one hand. Is there anyone else? I do not know. I see another. I see another. Anyone else this morning? I'm just not sure that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure that I would enter in in as part of the family of God. My friend, just like that teenage girl who's homeless on the street without a family, God is making you an offer to adopt you into His family. Oh, this family comes with benefits. Many more than I even laid out over the last 45 minutes this morning. This family comes with a benefit of all of your sins forgiven. This family comes with the benefit of an eternal home in heaven when you die. If you'd like to receive that gift and you believe in Jesus alone as your way to heaven, right where you're sitting, would you just pray this simple prayer under your breath, right under your breath, right where you're at, would you call out to God by faith and ask Him to give you the gift of eternal life and adopt you into His family? Just pray this prayer under your breath. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus... I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has separated me from you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. My faith is in you alone. Forgive my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Adopt me into your family. And take me to heaven when I die. 